You are listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net. Uh, my name is Matt. I'm our I'm one of our pastors here at Grace. I'm part of our preaching team. That's why I'm up here. I'm also uh, our student ministry pastor. I oversee all of our student ministry and college ministry. I get to work with Pastor Ted, who is our college pastor, and, and Patrick. He's a, our middle school pastor as well. And so it's good to be here. It's good to be here. Uh, we've been studying the book of Mark, and if you haven't been with us, um, welcome. I encourage you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 12. We're going to look at chapters or verses 13 to 27 this week. And we're going to jump right in because we have two, two sections that we could probably spend an hour on each one of them, but we can't, and I won't, so you're welcome. Um, but anyway, in our text today, we're going to look at, we're going to look at two traps that these, these uh, religious authorities and leaders are trying to catch Jesus in. Okay, they, they, they want to trap him. And so a little context for those who haven't been with us. Jesus is coming to Jerusalem. It's Passover season, so the place is packed. It's just teeming with people. And he goes into the temple, and it's an absolute nightmare. All he finds is injustice and the words of the prophet Isaiah, right? There's just distressing cries of the people. It's a, it's, it, it's a wicked place. And so he exposes the religious leaders and their, their hypocrisy and, and, and their wicked motives And he pronounces judgment on them through this parable that we saw last week. God continues to send his prophets to this people, but they continue to remain hard in their hearts. And and instead of listening to him, they kill them. They're going to kill Jesus. And so as Jesus lays out this message of condemnation their response is sadly predictable we've seen this before last week we ended with this after all this the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them but they were afraid of the crowd and so they left and they went away our text today verse 13 later they sent some of the pharisees and the herodians to catch jesus in his words And they came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. Okay, You're not swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. But you teach the way of God in, in, excuse me, in accordance with the truth. So is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay it or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy and he said, Why are you trying to trap me? And then he asked, or he asked that, and then he said, Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And so they brought the coin and he asked them, whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. And then Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and give back to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. So they're back, these religious authorities, they they send another wave of attack against Jesus And we know right away something's wrong because we we see right from the beginning that the Pharisees and the Herodians are coming together and these guys don't play nice. These guys don't like each other. The Pharisees are this religious group that they, they say they love the Old Testament law, but they don't really actually follow it. They just look like they do. And so Jesus will call them things like, you guys are whitewashed tombs. You look great on the outside, but inside there's just rotten dead bones. 
Or in other places, he'll say things like, you guys, you guys are amazing. You guys will travel over land and sea to win one convert. And then when you win that guy, you make him twice the son of hell that you are. So these guys are dangerous. Okay, they're religious. They're dangerous. On the other side is these Herodians. And they get their name from Herod, who is the, he is the occupying Roman official over, over Israel, over Jerusalem right, right now. Or right then. Not now. <laughs> Somebody else. Um, so they are very political. Okay, so these guys are on the opposite ends of the political fray, if you will. But they come together here because they have a common enemy, and that is Jesus. Right? We know how this works. We've seen people come together in most unlikely alliances. And this isn't the first time. We saw them together back in chapter 3, verse 6, where they were um, plotting how they were going to kill Jesus after he healed a guy on the Sabbath. So this has been going on for years now. And the text says they want to catch him. They want to catch him in his words. And this, that, that word catch, it's only used here in the New Testament. And, it, and we know from other sources it has the connotation of they, they want to, they're, they're, they're hunting him. Or they're violently pursuing him. They're on the hunt now. And those of us who, who hunt and fish here, we know what that's about. We know what it takes to lure and pray and kind of get out of the way and, and make it very subtle. Right? For those of us who like to fish for salmon out on the Columbia, we, we, we take this stuff called lunker lotion. It's really a thing. It has all different kind of scents, and you get your quick fish or whatever you're using, swimming just right, you put your lunker lotion on it, and you back it down into a hole. And, and what you're doing is you're trying to draw the prey out. That's what they're doing here. They're, they're trying to draw Jesus out. But they don't use lunker lotion. They prefer butter. Listen to these guys. This is the ultimate butter job. Teacher, we know that you're a man of integrity. It's like, oh, great teacher. Right? You aren't swayed. You pay no attention. You teach the way in accordance with the truth. Now, now they don't actually believe any of this. It's just, it's the butter job. They're trying to soften up their, their target. This guy, when my, I was with my daughter and we were buying her car, she was buying the car, I was just there. When, once he realized I was a pastor, all of a sudden I think he got saved. He just started talking about, you know, oh, yeah, hey, praise the Lord. I'm like, what? This guy gets saved? It, it, you know, people, you guys know that. People do this sometimes. Or like husbands, you guys do this. I don't do this, but you do this. Um, when, you, when you want something from your wife, okay? First service, I had some eyebrows going. I'm like, not that. I mean, maybe that. But uh, you, you want something from your wife, and so you, you come in, you come in, and maybe you start picking up things around the house you don't normally pick up. Right? And you start, you say, hey, babe, you grab her a glass of wine and whatever she likes to drink or eat, and you sit her in a chair. Just relax tonight. I'm going to take care of everything. Right? You do the, you, you cook, you put the kids even to bed, and you come back and you sit down. Some of you husbands are like, oh, he's talking about me. Um, you, you sit down next to your wife, and you look over there, and then you kind of set the hook. You're like, hey, babe, uh, this, you know, by the way, you look great tonight. Um, it's no big deal, but do you mind if I go fishing tomorrow? Is that, right? I mean, you do that. We do this. We do this. Wives, you do it too, so take it easy on your man. But, um, but these guys aren't, these guys, this isn't a fishing trip. This is homicide. I mean, these guys want Jesus dead. These guys are not playing around. Now, the things they're saying, it's, it's crazy because they're actually true. He is a man of integrity. He, he, he isn't swayed by, by men. He is the truth. But they don't see it. And they're not having any of that. So they lay their trap. 
It's, it's this politically charged question. And what they're hoping to do is hang him on the horns of a dilemma, right? We know what this is like. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? And they're hurrying him along. They say, okay, should we pay it or not? You know, it's, it's almost like they're saying, no, no, let's not talk about it. Let's not pontificate. Just yes or no. They've got the Pharisees there on one side. They've got the Herodians there, the crowds there. And so what they're trying to do is this. If he says, yes, pay the tax, and just for a little context, that tax was a a poll tax. Every non-Roman citizen in that place that was a male, you had to pay this just because you were breathing every year. And it was like a day's wage, and they hated it because it reminded them that Rome had them under their thumb. And so they hated this tax. So if he says, yeah, pay the tax, then he is aligning himself with Rome. And the people that have just hailed him king coming down the hill, they're going to be, he's going to be completely discredited. Oh, I thought he, was, thought, he was, thought, thought he was one of us. But if he says, no, don't pay the tax, that tax isn't legit, then he risks being branded a political criminal. And someone's going to run off to Pontius Pilate and let him know. And, he, and he's going to be killed for sure. And so Jesus immediately recognizes their trap as Jesus does. And he sees that they're baiting baiting him into this hot political topic. Think pro-life, pro-choice today. Or LGBT rights, right? Gender-neutral bathrooms, ISIS, immigration, all those things. Those are, that's what this was that day. This was a hot topic. You know how heated we can get with hot topics. But instead of jumping into that political uh, discussion, Jesus curiously asked for the coin. Which is interesting because he didn't need that coin to answer the question. So it makes us think there must be something about that coin that's significant. So he gets the coin and he says, whose image is this and, and whose inscription is on this? And they say Caesar's. This is the coin from that time period. This is a, it's a denarius. That's Tiberius Caesar. And what's interesting is around this coin, on the front of it, it says, Tiberius, son of the divine Augustus. And on the back, it's got Pax, who is the the Roman um, peace lady. Uh, it, it It says Pontiff Maxim. It says high priest. So... Imagine the irony here, and this might be the most ironic passage in entire scripture. Jesus, who we now know, we know he's the son of God. We know he's our high priest. We know he's the king of kings. And he's holding this coin that says that, nah, Caesar is. Right? He's the son of God. He's the high priest. It was the most blasphemous coin. Jews wouldn't even touch it in their day. Jesus knew it's not what goes into a man that defiles him. He, he hold that coin. So he's holding this coin. And they've got to be thinking, there is no way that, that Jesus is going to uh, tell us to pay this, this filthy, dirty, pagan ruler his tax, thereby in supporting him. And they could never imagine, they could have never have imagined what Jesus how he would respond. It's simple, yet it's profound. Listen to what he says. He just says, well, just give it back to Caesar. Give to Caesar that which belongs to Caesar. It's simple. I mean, but how can he say that? Doesn't he know that, that Rome is this idolatrous, oppressive regime? 
Man, he knows it better than anybody. But Jesus could say that because Jesus knows that, that ultimately government in and of itself is an institution that is given to us from God. Right, this idea is built out all through the New Testament. Um, many of you know this. This is, and for some of you who are new Christians, so this might be brand new to you. But, but get this: this is what God says about government. Let everyone be subject to the government, to the authorities, the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. God's in charge. This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. So in Because of that, give everyone what you owe them. If you owe them taxes, taxes. Revenue, revenue. Respect, respect. Honor, honor. We see in Timothy. I urge, first of all, that petitions and prayers and intercession and thanksgiving be made for all peoples, for kings and those in authority, so that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Peter says the same thing. Submit yourselves, and this is key, for the Lord's sake, to every human authority, whether the emperor as, as the supreme authority in the land or to governors or, excuse me, who are sent to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. These governments that we're being told to submit to and that, that, that the apostles are writing to, to pray for, these are the very governments that are going to kill Jesus and most of the apostles. These are not God-fearing governments, but God-ordained Government. It's what we call a, a common grace. This idea of theocratic kingdom that God is over Israel, that, that's no longer a thing. God obliterated that because of his judgment, because of their disobedience. And so now, it's, it's crazy because Christians are, can, can now thrive under any government, anytime, anywhere, all over the world. It's an amazing, there's so much in this statement that gets built out, but, but Jesus just says it. Yeah, pay pay the tax. Government is given to us by God. It's common grace. It's like like water or food or or rain. We say that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. That's the idea of common grace. And so God gives us government like that, and we should be thankful for that. I'm, I'm grateful I drove here today on a road, right? And I didn't get shot Okay, and, and yeah, there's some pockets of uh, disgruntled people in our city, but for the most part, it's, we're, we're relatively at peace most of the time. That's because, that's because we have a government. I, I, I can flush the toilet at my house, and my family says amen. Right? I mean, it's a good thing. These are common graces that we all have. That was unnecessary. Anyway, um, <laughs> listen, my son, my son is a police officer at Gresham PD. He just got hired on. And I love the fact that he's out there taking bad guys off the street, hopefully getting them some help so your kids and my kids can play in the parks and be safe. They don't do this perfectly. But man, I thank God for our government that we have right here in Gresham. Man, they're working at it. They're working hard. And it's ordained by God, and it's a gracious gift. I don't expect my government to be particularly Christian either. There, there is no such thing as a Christian nation where everybody's following Jesus. I, I, now, I know some of you are like, hey, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, America was built on Judeo-Christian values, but look around. I mean, there, and, and America wasn't the only nation. There's other nations that have been built on these values. But, but there is no such thing as a Christian nation. There never has been. And so the payment of the tax to a Roman, pagan, idolatrous government that was about to kill Jesus, he said was the right thing to do. And so in that, Jesus teaches there are things that we give back to Caesar. 
Things like taxes. We, we, we submit to the authority, the governing authorities in our lives. We pray for those even if you fundamentally disagree with them. Right? We, we spend more time praying for them than we do sending hateful emails that bash them, don't we? We pray for them. But this is what's key. It's not, or this government is limited. Okay, it's not... It's not unlimited. This government is limited. It only rules part of a man, and it's only for a time. It's, it's a temporal thing that God has put in place. This is why we see things like in Acts 5, when the authorities here tell, the, tell Peter and the apostles to stop preaching the gospel, they simply reply, look, we must obey God rather than human beings. The highest government in our land, we can still appeal one step higher. God is the ultimate authority. Okay, so this means when the government tells you to do something that God clearly states in his word that you are not to do, or they say don't do it and, and God tells you to do it, you do it and you take the consequences for it. This is, this is just a reality. And this is why Paul says things like, I consider that the present sufferings in our world, excuse me, the present sufferings aren't worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. Sometimes the world is going to come down on you for walking as a Christian. Our high school students, we talk about this. It can be something as simple as what we call cool shamed. This is when you're watching a TV show and the laugh track shows you exactly where to laugh and what the cool kids are applauding for. And if you're not applauding for those things that they're teaching, well, shame on you. That's that's an oppressive force that is so powerful in this culture because we don't even see it coming. And then there's people on the other side of the globe right now that are losing, literally heads falling off because of the gospel. So human government, it's, something, it's established by God, but it's limited. Okay, it's limited in its scope and in its, its duration. But also in the same breath that Jesus said, give this coin to Caesar, he said there are things that we are, spo- we are to give back to God as well. And for the Pharisees, these guys, they they were all upset because they they had to pay these taxes. They were all worked up about that, but they weren't giving God what was rightly his. The coin had Caesar's image on it. But they are created in in the image of the living God. And therefore, the coin belongs to Caesar, but they belong to God. And they'd forgotten that. This is, we read about this in Genesis. God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And therefore, because he created them, he has the ultimate authority in their lives and in our lives. Every one of you is created in the image of God. Whether you acknowledge that or not, you are. And therefore, he has authority over us. This is why it's so awkward in the Bible. You see when, when the clay starts talking to the potter, hey, why'd you make me like this? You're clay, dude. You don't have a say in it. You're clay. In the same way, God creates us with his image on us, but he does it in, in, in a way that's, that's staggeringly beautiful. And it's not humiliating at all. It's actually a glorious thing. And so this is why we have morality. This is why we have conscience. This is why we have language and incredible creativity. Look, birds have been building the same nest for thousands of years. 
They're created, but we are unique. We are created in the image of God, and this has far-reaching implications on our lives. What is it that we should be giving to God? What's rightly his? Everything. Even Caesar belongs to God. I mean, do you see that? Everything belongs to God, whether he acknowledges it or not. But in our lives, when we realize that we are created in the image of God, our ultimate allegiance is what we need to give to God. We need to give God the final say in all matters of our lives, even down to our finances, uh, our relationships, our businesses, our definitions of what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. We don't take those on ourselves. Caesar doesn't tell us that. These belong to God. Our worship. Our devotion, man, that's what we need to be giving to God. And listen to this. Don't miss this. We need to be giving him our hope. These are things that we should never give to Caesar, any government. right? We don't put our hope in presidents, elections, political regimes, political parties. We, we, don't, we don't hope in those things. We put our hope in God, ultimately. Man, we need to hear that today. We've got a nation that's, that's completely freaking out. We've we got, we got Ivy League schools that are canceling midterms because there's, there's going to be a change in Washington. Right? I think, I think uh, it was KU. They're bringing in therapy dogs because they just can't, we just can't take this. Now listen, though, as you're laughing, on the other side, we've got people that are almost worshipfully excited about this new regime that's moving in, that's going to make America great, that's going to take care of all our problems financially, it's going to build everything we need to keep us secure and safe. Both of those positions are giving way too much to Caesar. They're give, you're given, if we're giving things to Caesar that should only be given to God. So we need to hear that today. And what we need to do is we need to We need to go with humility and compassion to those people that are losing it right now and point them to the true hope, right? With humility, fear, and show them where life truly lies, where what what is truly secure. Because listen, no man can deliver what God can deliver. And he will deliver. And so what, do we owe, what did they owe God? What do we owe God? We owe him our love with all of our heart and with all of our mind, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. We owe him that. He deserves it. And he's commanded it. And the reason he has is because it's the best thing for us. We need to be related to our creator that way if we're going to truly experience life. We owe him this. We owe him to listen to his son. Yeah, we owe him to love his son and to treasure his son, to cherish Jesus and to embrace him as our only hope and our only savior. Man, do you love him like that today? Do you know him like that today? And we owe him that. And he deserves that. And that coin, that blasphemous little coin, I mean, it belongs to Caesar, right? But we belong to God. We need to think about, as a church, we need to think about all the implications of that. Every day, in your small groups, with your kids around the table, what does that mean? 
He's Lord of all. Well, their trap's empty. They missed him. And people are standing there amazed. I mean, these are the PhDs coming strong. And he's shutting them down with a phrase. But they keep coming. These guys aren't done. They're ruthless. The Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came next. They came to him with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Their their story here, their hypothetical. Now, there were seven brothers, and the first one married and died without leaving any children. The second one married the widow, but he also died, leaving no child. It was the same with the third. In fact, none of the seven left any children. Last of all, the woman died too. Now, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be since all seven were married to her? And Jesus replied, he said, are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures of the power of God? When the dead rise, they will, neither be, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage, but they will be like the angels in heaven. And now about the dead rising, have you not read the book of Moses? In the book of Moses, in the account of the burning bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly mistaken. Not a subtle point here. So what do we know about these Sadducees? Well, we know that they do not believe in the resurrection. They don't believe in angels or demons. They only take the first five books of the, 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 the Bible as authoritative, the Torah. They don't believe in the prophets and the writings or any oral tradition as the Pharisees would. Um, excuse me. So they too have come with the trap. These guys are in the hunt and their hypocrisy is absolutely crystal clear. They come with the question about the resurrection and they don't even believe in the resurrection. See what they're doing? They're, they're, they're after him. They're, they're not looking for truth here. And so they ask a question concerning what Moses wrote about what we call uh, Leverite marriage. Now, re- I realize this is bizarre for us today. You're like, what? Marry my brothers? Why? Uh, it just seems weird. And at some cases, you're like, Yeesh. But <laughs> listen, listen, this worked. This worked. This is basically what, what here, let, let, let me just, let me get back to my notes or we're going to be in trouble. Um, <laughs> This, is, this was a legal provision in the Old Testament. Stay with me now. Legal provision in the Old Testament that allowed a brother to marry his wife if he died in order to bring up children by her, establish a name for the family. And it was really a beautiful, protective kind of thing. It was, and we know it works because the book of Ruth is all about this. Right? Ruth and Boaz, they come together. And actually, their child results in King David. Heard of him? Fourteen generations down, who do we see? The Messiah came from that. So it works. And it's a, it's a good thing. It's just weird to us. But these guys, um, they come up with this, this crazy kind of question. And it's absurd. It tries to show that, that some basic belief can't be true because ultimately in the end it results in some kind of crazy absurdity. So it's, if God has given them the, the Leverite va- law, which everybody believes there that he had, it would be ridiculous to believe in the resurrection because just look what, look what might happen. Right? That's their argument. It's ridiculous. So therefore the resurrection's not true and what are you talking about? This is the kind of question every Sadducee's kid asked every Pharisee's kid on the playground. Right, and just to, it's like no one could answer it. Yeah, I'm a Sadducee. That's how we roll. And and so since no one did, the Sadducees assumed that no one could. 
And it was an absolute ridiculous story. And sometimes in my cynicism, I wish Jesus would have messed with him a little bit and just said, well, how come nobody's inspected or investigated or cooking? I mean, all these guys are dropping like fries. Something's going on in the kitchen, bro. Okay, something's up. Or, or you know, definitely flagger on Christian Mingle. You don't want to hang out with this gal. Things are, things are not okay. But listen, all seriousness, they underestimated our Lord. They underestimated him. Look how he responded. He says, are you not in error because you do not know the scriptures are the power of God? Whoa, that's painful for these guys. That was a real blow to their ego because that's like telling Wall Street, hey, you know nothing of finance, right? Jesus, in saying this, he shows that they're vulnerable, not, at, not in their weak points, but in what they think are their strongest points, right? That word to error, we get our term planet from it. It means to wander. You guys have wandered so far from the truth. It's not the peripheral things you've, you've wandered in, but it's the very core of your beliefs that you're wrong. And Jesus doesn't answer their question directly. It's interesting. What he does is he dismantles the assumptions on which the question is based, which is a great lesson for us, as a side note, who do apologetics, who who interact with people who challenge our faith. So many times, if we just step back and look at what they're assuming underneath the question, the whole thing can fall down. And then instead of kicking them to the curb, we can love them with the gospel and lead them to, to the truth with humility. I mean, that's what we want, right? And so Jesus does it, and it's, it's masterful here. See, because what's happening here is they're assuming that the, those who are resurrected is simply a reanimation of the way things already are. Right? That, that's that's what, obviously what has to happen. Nothing different can happen. These guys fail to see that the same creative power that was there in the beginning when God spoke the universes into existence with the word that hasn't gone anywhere, right? That God is still here. But these guys, they're not seeing it. God's not bound by the law of diminishing returns. He's not wearing down like our son, right? He spoke that son into existence. The son. These guys had a very small and anemic, a weak view of who God was. And they were wrong on his power. They were dead wrong. Listen to what the theologian N.T. Wright says. I think he's helpful here concerning those that are resurrected. Sometimes we, this is a weird statement. People freak out because they love being married. And I love my wife and I love being married too. But hear this. Considering those who are resurrected, they are like the angels in this respect only in that they will not marry, they are beyond death, they're they're eternal, and they will not need to propagate the species or continue the family, which was the very point of that Leverite law. So that's what he's attacking here. He's saying he's not doing some great diatribe on marriage and in the afterlife. He's just saying that whole thing is wrong because it's based on wrong premises. So these guys just aren't getting it. He says, they will have gone into a new mode of bodily life in which such things become irrelevant. Now listen, we don't know everything that's, that's coming, but I'll tell you this. Scripture makes it real clear. Everything is going to be better. Everything's going to be better. The best thing you can imagine right now, as good as it is, it's going to be far, far better. Don't settle for the little 
toilet paper angel Charmin guy thinking that's what your life's going to be. It's not that. It's better than everything. This is why Paul says things like, no eye has seen. Man, ear hasn't even heard about what's coming. And what, he, what no human mind has ever conceived, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. I mean, it's going to be so much better. They're wrong on his power. And Jesus continues his authoritative tack using their own scriptures. He says, and this is great, have you not read Moses? These guys are all about Moses. Hashtag only Moses shirts these guys wear. Right? I mean, that's who these guys are. And so they're, they're completely outraged. Have we read Moses? Who is this guy? But here's what he's saying. These patriarchs, they're already dead. And if God speaks to these patriarchs that have already died in the present tense, then not only these patriarchs, but sure enough, every other person that's ever died is somehow alive to God. You're wrong. Matter of fact, if they would have been back in a couple chapters, maybe they could have got out a little telescope and seen old Moses talking to Jesus up on that mountain. Moses is not dead. He's alive. And he will arise with a bodily resurrection when the Lord comes. And so you're, you're, how does he finish? You're badly mistaken. Not a little bit, but a lot. So the highest authority, the brightest minds, these PhDs of the day, they come and they try to trap Jesus and they fail. And they're standing there and they've got nothing left to say. So, so what, Matt? So what, what is the takeaway for us? And I, I've got a couple things here as we kind of wrap this thing up. Number one is that human authority is limited both in its duration and its scope, right? It only rules part of a man and it's, and it's for a temporary amount of time, right? It's, it's a limited authority. Caesars will come and go. Presidents are going to come and go. There's a lot of presidents down that line and we're still here. But God's authority is ultimate. It's comprehensive. And it entails every aspect of our lives, both now and for eternity. Right? It never changes no matter where you live, and it never changes no matter who is in power. We don't vote on this. As men and women, we are created in the image of God. And that means that he's sovereign over every aspect of our lives. He's sovereign over the government, even ones you don't agree with, but more importantly, he's sovereign over every aspect of your life. And we need to think about the implications of that. I think we learned from the Sadducees that we don't have all the truth. We, we don't have all knowledge. There are things that we simply don't understand. And so different than them, how we need to approach it is we need to humbly submit ourselves to God in order to understand the power of God that's revealed in the word of God. That's what we do. We submit humbly to him. Saying, we don't have all the answers, Lord, but you do. Show us. And he reveals his power as, as revealed in the word of God. That's how we go after that. Our high school students, we've been talking about this concept of the fear of the Lord. Okay, what does that mean? It's the idea that, that I just acknowledge that you are the Lord, that all authority is yours, and I place myself under that authority. That means you determine what's right and wrong. You determine what's good and bad. It's not my choice. And the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's, that's where wisdom starts, right there, in a submissive humility 
to the king of kings. And at the pinnacle of God's goodness, we see a father sending his son, Jesus. Right, that's the best thing for all of us. He sends Jesus into a world that's very confused about authority. Right, we, we've lost our way. He's, he's, he's here to show us. He's here to show them. And the tragedy is with them is instead of acknowledging his authority and, and rightly submitting to it, they mocked it. They refused to acknowledge it. And they failed to hear his message. They called good things evil and evil things good. They failed to hear his message and see his purpose. What a tragedy. I mean, it really is a tragedy. I feel bad for these guys, even though they're jerks. I feel bad for them. They miss the Lord. But what about, what about us? What about you today? Who is the ultimate authority in your life? Is it you? Do you give that to the state? You wait till legislation comes down. Oh, okay, this is right now. Let's go. Oh, this is right now. Or, do, or, or does the Lord have that authority? When you have a view and you're reading through the Bible and all of a sudden you see the Bible contradicts your view, who wins? We need to think about that. Here's why I love the gospel. Okay, the, the beauty of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is that Jesus sees us in all our brokenness. He knows we don't have it together. He knows that, that, that we're lost and that we wander so easily we wander from the truth. And he sees you today. He sees you today. I mean, he sees me today. He sees us right where we're at. And instead of coming with a word of condemnation, he comes to rescue, he comes to save us and to point us to the truth. And when you acknowledge that authority, and you put yourself under the authority of Jesus, let me tell you, the first place he leads you is to his cross. And it's there that you find mercy. And you'll find grace. You'll find forgiveness. And he'll wash away your sins. He'll tell you that he loves you. And he knows everything about you, and he still loves you. And you'll walk away from that place, leaving behind shame, all your guilt, all your regrets, it's all gone. He, he removes it all. And he leads you into a life that you can't even imagine. That's what he offers you today. That's what he offers us today. The Pharisees and those religious leaders, they weren't having it. But I'll tell you this, you'd be a fool not to take that. Let's pray. Father, your word is sharp it does, it divides, it, it, it makes us vulnerable. We know it's authoritative in our lives, even if we try and get out from under it, we know it is. You put that in our hearts. God, would you give us courage to believe you today? Would you help us to see you for who you are and submit ourselves to you for those who have never done that, Lord, would you, man, would, would you give him courage to do it today? Just confess, just call out to him, tell Jesus you, you need his forgiveness, he'll give it to you, he'll give you life. Thank you so much for your word and your, just your grace and your mercy to us, in Jesus' name, amen. 
Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church. For more information about service times and ways to connect, visit us online at gracecc.net.